whether people, including children, are allowed to pray in school. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg, and this question has a kind of a sub-question to it. What does it mean if people are allowed to pray in school, including children, and politically active Christians say or insist that they are not? This is the problem that I'd like to look at today in this Walk the Earth question. It is fair to say that I've looked at this question before from an inappropriate conversations perspective, but I want to look at it as a Walk the Earth question this week, and to a certain degree, I'm going to look at prayer again next month. Past inappropriate conversations, just in the interest of sharing reference material, would be inappropriate conversations 29 and 30, coming out in September and October of 2010. But I've also looked at this fairly recently. I think the one that I would refer to came out in the summer of 2015. It was called, again, going from memory here a little bit, uh, Speaking Truth to Power. If I take a quick look and see if I can find the exact citation, it would be Inappropriate Conversations 167, June of 2015. But I've recently had conversations with people, and this is interacting on social media, pretty much outside the context of either Walk the Earth or Inappropriate Conversations, where there's been a lot of talk, and it seems to come up every few years, particularly from the religious right or politically active Christians who seem to be obsessed with the idea that something was lost between the years of 1963 and, let's say, 1973 or beyond. It took a long time for the Supreme Court's ruling taking the indoctrination out of public schools to actually be implemented. I do know from my own personal experience, in elementary school, as late as 1973 or 74, that there was still a great deal of prayer in school going on, despite what the Supreme Court may have ruled, at least in certain parts of the country. But in interacting with people, people that I know, people that I've worshipped with before, I decided that I probably needed to remind them of exactly who they were dealing with that I'm a Christian who has a very strong faith and a fervent belief in the power of prayer, and I don't see any problem with the 1963 Supreme Court rulings or any that have come since. I have no problem with, for that matter, uh, executive orders from presidents reminding certain school districts that children are allowed to pray privately. So first, quick answer to the question, lay a little bit of groundwork, and then I want to share some of my background some of my story. So if we look at this question again from the perspective of whether people, including children, are allowed to pray in school, let me offer a couple of different answers. They're going to be in concert with each other. First, children are absolutely allowed to pray in school. Any school that prohibits a child from privately praying to their God is going to find itself in extremely hot water, starting with the U.S. federal government and with no courts uh, in any way whatsoever coming in to back them up on that. And about other people, same thing. As long as I'm not going to indoctrinate students or force people to pray with me, whether they be faculty or students, as a parent waiting 
for an answer from a school nurse or a meeting with a principal or a teacher, certainly allowed to pray in school. This really is a non-issue. And therefore, I'm probably going to focus a little bit more, at least eventually, on the other side of what I introduced as a two-parter kind of today, what it means if people are allowed to pray in school, but it's politically active Christians who insist that they are not. What's my story? I attended high school from the mid-1970s until a couple of years into the 1980s. These were difficult and challenging years. I don't need to share any stories, though. I don't need to provide any details, because most people at that age would have had similar stories. It's just true, and it's probably true universally, but just to focus on the United States, junior high school tend to be the tough years. Um, You're in that puberty point in time. Uh, Children or young people are at different ages of development. There's a fair amount of conflict that creeps in. Schools, frankly, get a little bit overwhelmed and probably don't have any reason to feel like they've got a responsibility to act as constant referees involved in breaking up conflict. So there's a ton of conflict, a fair amount of violence, verbally at least, and it makes it very difficult. And for a lot of us, this streamed beyond just junior high school slash middle school and all the way into those high school years. So for for me, until 1981, at least until 1981, I would describe my experiences as unremarkable. Uh, Unremarkable and typical when it comes to bullying, and also unremarkable and typical when it comes to my prayer life. There were things that happened from 1982 that were a little bit different, and perhaps answering next Walk the Earth question, I'll look at some of that in a little bit more detail. But I guess the bottom line is, frustrating experiences during the years in junior high and high school. Sad to say, that's pretty normal. I only bring it up to offer two points. Then two points I often don't raise enough. One, I prayed pretty much every day during school. And two, Christianity during that time was undergoing a very unfortunate transformation, I would say, moving toward politics and away from Jesus. You see, I'd be shocked if many or any of my classmates knew when I was praying, or even, frankly, whether I was praying. It wasn't scheduled. It wasn't some spectacle. I didn't make a spectacle of it. I didn't need their participation, and I didn't need their accommodation. It also wasn't some pledge of allegiance or a show of force. It wasn't a ritual that had to be performed with the right words and in the right way. I'm talking about prayer as the Lord of all universes described it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 to be specific. Here's a good news translation of the sixth, at least the beginning of the sixth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, with Jesus speaking. Make certain that you do not perform your religious duties in public so that people will see what you do. If you do these things publicly, you will not have any reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give something to a needy person, do not make a big show of it, as the hypocrites do in the houses of worship and on the streets. They do it so that people will praise them. I assure you, they have already been paid in full. But when you help a needy person, do it in such a way that even your closest friend will not know about it. Then it will be a private matter, and your father, who sees what you do in private, will reward you. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the houses of worship and on the street corners so that everyone will see them. I assure you, they have already been paid in full. 
But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what you do in private, will, will reward you. When you pray, do not use a lot of meaningless words as the pagans do, who think that their gods will hear them because their prayers are long. Do not be like them. Your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we forgive the wrongs that others have done to us. Do not bring us to hard testing and keep us safe from the evil one. If you forgive the wrongs that have been done to you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive the wrongs you have done. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And it's Jesus talking in terms of a manner of prayer. I think I've spoken elsewhere in previous Walk the Earth questions about whether or not the words here that Jesus shares between verses 9 and 13 have been turned into some sort of ritual or treated by some Christians as some sort of set of magic words that instead of Jesus telling us how we should pray, it's as if they read the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus telling us what we should pray, the exact words in the exact order, and so on. No, these are all about a manner and approach. It's all about not making a spectacle, not making a show. It's all about the notion that genuine reverence is essentially a private thing. For me, back in those days, the way of uh, closing my metaphorical closet door and praying in private, while in an inherently public setting like a school, would simply to be walking, talking to myself, talking to myself and talking to God through myself. I was often walking into that metaphorical closet, in other words. So, yes to number one, I prayed in school, and at the time, and the time was surely greater, the amount of time, than any one-minute recitation at the start of the school day would have calculated instead. That is true both in quantity, and it is absolutely true in quality. And I would say it's true in quality either way you look at it. It's true if you compare it to a moment of silence, and it's true if you compare it to some call-and-response recitation. In other words, I don't believe that the second part of the passage from Matthew 6 that I just shared has any magic words in it. I believe that the Lord would rather hear what I think than rather hear me parrot back some piece of scripture. Now, the problem I have with number two, with this notion that Christianity, during the time I was in school, and to some degree since, was undergoing a very unfortunate transformation of sorts? Well, by the end of high school, the new politically focused church, with names like Moral Maturity and Religious Right, among others, was proclaiming that my prayers weren't prayers, that Jesus was wrong about what he taught, and that I couldn't possibly be praying because there was now, quote, no prayer in public schools. And this was a problem they needed the government to solve. They wanted a law. They wanted a constitutional amendment. They wanted to stack the Supreme Court and overturn established precedent. They needed the government to come in and take over. So whether it's a constitutional amendment, a new executive order, um, a law passed through Congress or, or legislatures, or a judicial change of heart, everything I've just referred to 
is the U.S. government. And it's ironic that you've got people who refer to themselves as conservative with terms like the religious right, seeking a government solution to what is essentially a non-government problem. It was the beginning of Ronald Reagan's first term in office, when I was in high school anyway, and there was great political hay to be made with prayer. Here's the bottom line, though. The only people in contact with me saying that I couldn't or shouldn't pray in schools were those we now call the religious right. They were also suggesting, intentionally or not, that I wasn't praying in schools and I should stop wasting my time. Now, to be fair, if I challenged my elders back then, I don't think they would have explicitly told me that my prayers weren't real unless led by a teacher or principal or and spoken in unison with all of my classmates, or even if silent, only reaching the heart of God if all my classmates were silently saying their own prayers at the same time and place as an act of school unity or school pride, they probably would have stopped short of saying that. But the difference there is just hypocrisy. That's all it is. They were communicating that loudly and angrily at times, and many still are, even within the last few weeks as I've been preparing this Walk the Earth question, I have heard people from churches I used to attend tell me that there is now no prayer in schools and that kids are not allowed to pray in schools. And the implication is those who are praying anyway, those who are praying as Jesus commanded, those who are living within all previous Supreme Court rulings and executive orders should just stop wasting their time. We have a problem if you're politically conservative and Christian to the extent that you're part of the religious right. And that problem has to be solved. And therefore, to be told that there really isn't a problem, that the only thing being stopped here is indoctrination, um, a teacher forcing their religious beliefs on a student is being stopped. But other things aren't being stopped. That if there was no problem, then there's no political hay to be made. And that might be the biggest problem at all of all for the religious right. I'm sitting here with this question facing me, and the answer is very obvious, and this particular Walk the Earth episode may be very short for that reason, but I'm still beating my head up against a wall at the same time, dealing with people who won't acknowledge, um, even within an accountability conversation, that they're communicating loudly that kids aren't allowed to pray in school, when clearly they are, and this is presenting us with a huge problem. Even when I was in high school, and certainly now, most of the people telling kids they cannot pray in school are self-identified Christians. They probably believe, genuinely believe, that prayer only works if it is communal, public for all to see, and led by some authority. But let me just say that again, because this is what they want to restore. Prayer in public that is communal and led by an authority. Now, what I experienced all those years ago is what Jesus taught. And there's a big gap between us. And that big gap is one of the biggest problems facing the church today. And I would even go further to say that it gets dangerously close to apostasy on the part of those people who identify themselves as Christian, but strongly suggest that Jesus was just flat out wrong about prayer. Yeah, this may rub some folks the wrong way. Sorry about that. It's just that some, some of us believe in saying Jesus is Lord, and some of us actually believe that, believe that Jesus is Lord. And here's the hint. The people who truly believe Jesus is Lord are almost certainly the ones praying in the manner he instructed and avoiding as much as possible 
any political advocacy for forcing the country to do things Jesus said you must not do in Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6. Those passages say, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, exclamation point. They love to stand and pray in the houses of worship and on the street corners so that everyone will see them. I assure you, they've already been paid in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what you do in private will reward you. Most other translations of this particular passage say, you must not pray in that manner. So here we are dealing with a group of Christians, telling people that they need to be forced against their will, children, for example, in school, to pray in the manner that Jesus said we flat out must not do. Pray without ceasing, Christians. Don't wait for any government official to tell you when it's time, including state-paid employees working in schools. And stop supporting people who have clearly lost touch with what Jesus meant by prayer. Maybe then we can get Christians to stop telling other Christians that they aren't allowed to pray when they absolutely are, both constitutionally and in concert with every court ruling that still stands today, and in the actual experiences of Christians like me. Christians need to stop lying to other Christians and the rest of the country about prayer. And I'll grant that it's sad that such a thing even needs to be said. But I feel like this is a little bit of groundwork I need to pave if I want to share the message that I want to share next time on Walk the Earth, I want to look at what I, my experience of prayer has been, both when I was in high school and later in college. And it's consistent with the pattern that I've been living with kind of ever since. And it's very, very different from the notion of everyone standing up and, well, almost pledging allegiance more than anything else. It's not that I need to act in a certain way or perform a certain ritual to shore up my Christian credentials and be taken seriously. The bottom line is, the best way to take prayer seriously is to do it the way Jesus taught. If and as you were led, please join me in prayer. Jesus, you gave us clear instructions, a guide for how to raise prayers, how to be heard. And I will confess that in my moments of greatest desperation, think about being a teenager or a preteen even, and experiencing bullying or other problems unlike anything I'd ever experienced before, certainly inside my family unit, that I tried to pray that way. Lord, I thank you for the guidance and for the instruction and for the confidence that it was possible to be heard in that manner. Lord, I also pray for what seems to be a rampant problem in the church today. Christians who believe that telling the right kind of lie will somehow bring you glory, Jesus. That disregarding everything you had to say about something as important as communication, as prayer, is a good idea for political reasons. Lord, I don't know what to do or how to act in this context. I'll just leave it up to you. Say, I have absolute trust and confidence that if we continue to follow what you've told us to do, then continue to ignore the people who are trying to lead us astray, that it will be to and for your glory. In your holy name I pray. Amen. 
What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next on Walk the Earth, whether people who want answers ask questions. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Greg, host of a podcast called Inappropriate Conversations, with a mission to break down the barriers that keep people separated and stop us talking about politics, sex and religion, and other aspects of our culture. And I'm ready to draw a line in the sand. If I have to qualify by some standard to be Christian in the eyes of my fellow believers over issues of theocracy or our current conservative mindset, you might just find me on the other side of that line. But let me tell you something. This doesn't say anything about my theology. It doesn't say anything about my orthodoxy. What it says is something about the state of Christianity today that I, by some strange standard, may fail to qualify because of ideas that I have that line up with Jesus. Things like what Jesus had to say about public school prayer, what he didn't have to say about homosexuality, and what he demonstrated through his actions about the use of hormonal birth control. If my point of view about these issues makes me not a Christian, guess what? The term Christianity has become meaningless. You can find inappropriate conversations in iTunes in the News and Politics section or at www.inappropriateconversations.org. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com.